Welcome to the GM's Corner of Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat, make them squirm, make them give me all of their secrets, and then of course I cut them all out so I can keep them for myself. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine. Today it is my pleasure to have a chat with Mike Dunn, the general manager of the AAA Piranhas in the Umeba. Mike Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you taking a break from all of that shuffling that you're doing right now. Although most of it was uh, chopping ice. I had about two inches of solid ice on my uh, sidewalk. So before uh, any neighbors were to trip and fall and uh, sue me, I uh, figured it was time to get out there and, and chop away. And I didn't finish. So this is a nice break. But thanks. <laughs> thanks. I have enjoyed all the all of the other GM corners that you've done uh, lately, um, and so happy to be uh, giving it a go. Although I have to ask, I so I always say Umeba, and you say Umeba. I say Umeba. Some people say Umeba. Some people say what did you just call it? Is it Umeba? I say Umeba. Umeba. Like, Umeba. Aaron uh, Aaron no, Weiner calls U- it the U M E B A. Yeah. Um, that's what we ought to do is have a have a poll on what the proper pronunciation is. That's a good idea. <laughs> we need a definitive ruling from the governing board on how to pronounce it. Hey, Matt. <laughs> Matt, calling Matt. I guess he probably gets the uh, final answer. Uh, bottom line is I appreciated hearing about your shoveling because it makes me um, – Makes me happy to be in Arizona now instead of Indiana, so that I don't have to get my physical exercise by chipping ice. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it is not fun. And tomorrow we're getting another, uh, I guess, six inches they say of snow. So um, more to come. There you go. Well, you're in Philadelphia, right? That's the uh, mm-hmm. you're the northeast. Yeah, the, the big northeast. Uh, how how uh, usual is that level of snow for you? Is this a well, it used to be very common, and I, you know, we actually went for I think two winters prior to this one without any snow, like zero. Which you know, some folks and I might be among them make you start wondering about global warming and climate change. <laughs> but we don't have to get into all that. Um, but yeah, we it it is the kind of thing that used to be very common, but who knows? So anyway, yeah, knows? I love snow. I don't mind. Uh, I, I actually enjoy shoveling, so and it brings back memories of snow days. Uh, when, Where when we were, were you when I needed you, Mike? That's all I've got to say. You enjoy shoveling. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> yes. you, you've just reduced in magnitude of of, uh, of uh, respectability to me. Anyone who enjoys shoveling, I just I get so little real exercise that that that's what constitutes exercise lately. Well, I've been extremely excited about having a conversation with you, Mike, because um, for those of you who don't know, Mike and I competed together in the uh, PIBA for several years, uh, actually in a UMEBA, UMEBA, UMEBA kind of uh, uh, offshoot league in the League of the Rising Sun, a Japanese league. Uh, I think Mike was managing the Nihamashi Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I took over the Kawaguchi transmitters and eventually moved them to Toyoma, or changed their name anyway, to the Toyoma uh, Wind Dancers, I think. So Mike and I had a, a, a had a pretty good competition going on there. I will tell you that Mike was one of my favorite team news writers. I can't remember what we used to call him back then, but um, I still remember several of your fantastic write-ups. What do you remember most about the PIBA? Well, that was, for me... 
the first truly well-run league I had been in. Um, and I um, had been in, and at that time, probably we're talking about late 2000s, so maybe OOTP versions 12, 13, I don't know, I've lost track. But it was run by a guy named John Rodriguez, who later stepped down as commissioner. Um, it PIBA stands for the Planetary Extreme Baseball Alliance. It started, I think, uh, with a bunch of guys from Cleveland, if I remember correctly. And John was just, he was Matt Rechtenwald-like mm-hmm. um, in his, the precision with which the league was run. And, you know, and I think that is pretty much running, well-run, stable OOTP league, is that you have, you have that person who holds it all together. Well, what has your path been into out of the park to begin with? So um, if you don't mind, I'll be very long-winded and go back, because I've thought about this. I knew you were going to ask that question. And my path, I, I have always, since I was a kid, been interested in the, the intersection of games as in games you play and real-life sports. And when I was in probably junior high school, I uh, create, well, and, and I should say when I was in junior high school, there was no internet, you know, <laughs> there, there was no plethora of websites that you could go to about sports. There certainly was no OTP. Uh, there was nothing. I used to freak out all the kids that I worked with by saying when I started working, there were no computers. <laughs> yes. There were no PCs there were no anyway. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I remember as a as a kid, and I'm not sure what grade it was, but it was probably junior high school. I created on my own a a game that basically you it it followed the stats of the National Football League, <laughs> and and those stats I basically would bet on certain categories, and I'm betting against myself. Like I had no, I didn't ever share this with friends. I didn't play against anybody. I just kind of uh, would place bets based on statistics of real life teams. And so it was it was in some ways kind of this bizarre, almost precursor to fantasy baseball and football. Of course, I wasn't smart enough to try to figure out a way to market this or do anything with it. But I remember having a good time with it. Um, And now when I look back, I think, geez, you know, if I had only you know, tried to make something of that. Maybe that I would have been uh, out ahead of the fantasy sports uh, um, curve. But that was you, for you me. Too could have been, you two could have been swindled out of all the money that, that uh, the rotisserie league guys yes. didn't make. Yes. And then speaking of rotisserie, fast forward to like the late 80s. I was by that point out of college in the working world and – I had come back to the Philadelphia area and was still hanging out with a group of guys who had been high school friends. And they, and I don't remember which of us, but somebody discovered rotisserie baseball. Now, at the time, rotisserie baseball, like there's no internet, there's no email, there's nothing. You basically would get your team's stats mailed to you. You would literally once a week get a manila envelope from the company that would process this and you would open up the envelope and find out how your team is doing. Or each morning you would run and get the newspaper 
and open up and look at the box scores to see how your uh, players were doing. Oh, yes. And it was it was just um, I loved it too much. I became one of those owners who was frankly obsessed with it. I think the tipping point for me was I was had been out and I don't travel much, um, but I had been out in L.A. on a business related trip and was flying back. And this was a time when like you could make phone calls on an airplane, but at tremendous cost. And I made I was talking trade for my rotisserie league on this flight and and billing the uh, client for that <laughs> call. But um, that then I started realizing, you know, I, I need to kind of back off from this. And and then the other thing that happened to be very long winded. So, so I grew up in Philadelphia. I've always been a Phillies fan. And in nine, 1993, they made it to the World Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, that was the team with um, Lenny Dykstra and Darren Dalton and John Crook and yep. Bert Schilling and uh, God, you know, Pete Incavilia. They had a, a scruffy team that was really easy to love. They they didn't give a sh- whatever about anybody. <laughs> and they lost in the World Series when <clears throat> Joe Carter of the Blue Jays hit a monster home run off of Mitch Williams in, I think, game six. I don't remember. I, it was painful. Um, but what happened was we we fully expected the team to be back 94. And I don't know if you remember, but Major League Baseball went on strike in 94. Oh, yes, I definitely remember. So that screwed up following the Phillies. It screwed up rotisserie baseball. And I was furious. I was so furious at both the players and the owners that I made up my mind to walk away from baseball, from walk away from following baseball, from doing rotisserie. I was I just thought I need something else in my life. And I did it. I stayed away from baseball for what I call the Barry Bonds years. Now, Barry Bonds was already in the majors by 94, um, but that was right when he got traded, I think, to the Giants. He had been with <laughs> Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh, right. Yep. Uh, got traded to the Giants and ended up like from 93 till he retired with the Giants. And um, I that whole period of time, I have virtually no knowledge of Major League Baseball. I When I walked away, I really walked away. Um, and it wasn't until 2006 when the Phillies had suddenly a core of really good young players that were easy to love um, that I started regaining my interest in both Major League Baseball and the sport generally. And this was... Uh, Jimmy Rollins, um, uh, Chase Utley, Cole Hamels, Ryan Howard, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mid to late 2000s Phillies who ended up winning the World Series in 2008. And, and it, it was in 2007 when Jimmy Rollins famously proclaimed um, that he that the Phillies were the team to beat, not the Mets, who had all the <laughs> all the stars. And that was a bit of uh, braggadocio that, you know, I really endeared me uh, not only with the Phillies, but suddenly I kind of rediscovered my love for baseball. Um, but it was a good you know, decade plus that I paid no attention to it. And then that led to my be- 
rejoining that fantasy baseball league. By then it was fantasy baseball. It was the mm-hmm. same group of guys with a few changes. The same guys who had been doing it uh, in the late 80s were still doing it. But of course, by this point, there's the internet. It's done entirely online. There's no package arriving in the mail. Yeah, um, it's just too easy today. That's all there is yeah. to it. <laughs> yes. I mean, you. I mean, now you watch minute to minute in, in you know real time. P- folks who are just getting into fantasy sports now have no idea how easy it is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so and, and so you have to question their actual interest. I mean, yes. when when guys in the eighties, I, I did the. We have some a lot of similarities in our path because yeah. I can actually equate very closely to the uh, to the great passion early and. Uh, I was one of those guys in Rotisserie League. I found the book. I started my own league, and Greg Greathouse was actually in my league, the general manager of uh, Jacksonville. Oh, wow. And we literally, I mean, we didn't mail it off. We did it by hand. Uh, Myself and another guy, every Tuesday, Baseball Weekly would come out, and he would come over, and we'd sit there in the evenings, and we'd do the stats, right? Oh, that's unbelievable. So, so I completely get it, right? You knew yes. the dedicated people these yes. days or those days. You know, these yeah. days, all you have to do to to play is click a few buttons and start right. playing, right? I mean, and, and where does the, where does the blood and the soul go? <laughs> I know. Back in my day, we had to walk two miles to get our fantasy results from the post office. Both ways, um, you know. Yes. So then again, I'm sorry for the long-winded story, but so in 2006, I I suddenly returned to loving baseball. I returned to to playing fantasy baseball with my high school friends. And when that season ended, um, I found myself looking for something. And I remember sitting down and and Googling, like, because I I think I'd kind of heard vaguely about simulated baseball programs, but I didn't really know the ones that were out there. I didn't know like how it worked. I had no clue about it, but I started like just researching it and I found baseball mogul, uh, diamond mind and out of the park baseball. Um, and then I spent time kind of researching. I, I decided, all right, I'm, this is going to be my off season, you know, get me through the winter fix for baseball is trying this. And I, did a little research and came to the conclusion that of those three, the best was out of the park baseball. And I was right. There you go. <laughs> came to a good conclusion there. Um, <laughs> and now at the time, I think they were at OOTP six, but they had a free version. They had OOTP two for free as a, just a free download. And I discovered on the, forums, the OOTP forums, that a group of guys was still running an OOTP 2 league. Um, So not only could I download it and play around with it myself, but I actually, that was my very first online league, a league that had no interest in moving on to later versions (laughs) beyond OOTP 2. And I don't know what your first version was, but uh, number two was pretty basic. Do you what would what was your first version? My first was version five. Five. So it was nowhere near as graphically inclined, but it was robust enough. You know, I mean, it was the first time I'd seen general management kind of things. And and were you in a an online league? 
at that point? No, not right away. Um, I did some solo stuff and played around with it enough to just be interested. And then uh, uh, finally decided that I was tired of beating the computer because if you play a game long enough, you ought to be able to beat the computer. (laughs) And um, in the process of uh, fiddling around with the out of the park forums, I found online leagues and, and from there I was, I was gone. Yeah. That, and that's kind of what happened with me. And so this, out of the park two league um, was full of great guys who were very helpful. I had no clue what I was doing and it was a welcoming league to newcomers, obviously using a, a, a version of the game that was, you know, already a couple of seasons out of date. Um, they, they needed to be welcoming to new guys. Um, and I wish I remembered the name of it. I wish I knew whether they were still around and what version they were using. They might have moved up by now to uh, version 10. Uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Or at least I up think, to four. <laughs> yes. Um, but they taught me. I mean, there were like guys would send me evaluations of my players and t- give me tips. And it was so welcoming and such a great experience that that I became hooked. At that point, I bought the latest version and proceeded to be one of those people buying the, you know, the latest version every year. Uh, and it only escalated from there. I joined a number of leagues including P-Bond. So that's my long-winded way of how how I got from being a, a kid playing my own stupid little game to, to Piba. And I think at my height, I was probably in six or seven leagues at one time Yikes. to the point where I, I dropped out of my friend's fantasy baseball thing. You know, ironically, it started as something I wanted to fill the gap between um, actual real life seasons. And instead I became so hooked on running my own team that I lost interest in fantasy baseball. I mean, I still followed the Phillies obviously in major league baseball, but, um, it, it, it kind of took over. I didn't, I stopped playing video games. I stopped, I mean, I was, I did not for a good number of years, did nothing but out of the park baseball. And, um, and I and I discovered that what I really loved most were fictional leagues. Mm-hmm. I had very little interest in historical leagues or modern day leagues. Why do you think that is? That's a good question. I'm not. I think it's just my love of fiction, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that kind of my next chap chapter, for lack of a better term, of my next evolution and in, in getting into out of simulated baseball was starting a dynasty league. I don't know. Uh, I, I would think most of the folks, you know, most of the GMs in our league are aware that um, there is a sub forum on the out of the park forums for what they call dynasty leagues, which are solo leagues that people write the stories off and they, mm-hmm. they do regular posts as they sim. It's not, a, it's not an online league. It's not a multiplayer league. It's their own thing. Um, and I think when I saw folks, there are a couple of guys on there, and I don't know if you've seen them. One is his name is Eugene Church. Oh yeah. Um, who have been running their own dynasty league for you know easily a decade, real life, and you know right. obviously <laughs> decades of uh, of simming, 
and posting in the forums. Yeah. Now, is this where um, for the for the unaware, uh, Mike Dunn is a uh, published author of a book called Lord Bart in the Leagues of what Sip and Ale. Is Sip this, and Ale. Yeah. So is, yeah, and that is this where that. <laughs> kind of came from or that, that, did you start yeah, doing dynasty a, things around that? It is a fantastic yeah. book, by the way. Uh, I would highly okay. recommend it for anyone who is uh, interested in um, it. I don't even know how to, it, I would call it steampunk, but it's not quite steampunk baseball. Yeah, no, um, steam, I, I, I labeled it as a steampunk, a steampunk baseball adventure. And if you don't know, steampunk, if, if you're not aware, is a subgenre of science fiction in which it's kind of an all usually an alternate history uh set in victorian times where mm -hmm. um steam becomes the technology of choice rather than electricity um this this story is steampunk not set in england or europe but in a completely fictitious world but that is indeed what led to that novel uh, my i i created in ootp a dynasty league. I made a map, you know, outside of the program, I created a map of a continent with cities, large and small. And I uh, then um, created a major league that had, I'm trying to think, um, 20 teams and a, my, a single minor league with 12 teams. And so 32 teams in all, they represented cities on this map and created stories behind this continent, which was called the continent of Setheridge. Um, and I started it as a forum thread on the OOTP forum, like many other folks were doing, just a completely fictitious thing. And, um, and, and I simmed, I simmed about 30 years before actually starting to write. I wanted the league to have a history. Um, so I had it starting in their fictitious year of, I think, 1893, and I simmed up until 1923. And it's it's amazing when you do that, um, and then you start looking at the history of individual teams and the history of players, and it's all, it's all emerges out of this engine, which I find you know, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I think it was, I, I don't know if I would do weekly or monthly Sims and do posts on the forum and created a couple of characters who were not in the game, like a, a newspaper writer who would do his posts and, um, and, and, and the commissioner who was <laughs> Lord Bartholomew or Lord Bart um, was the commissioner. What I, what I found happened is that I actually got bored with the simming but I didn't get bored with the world. And I, I want to, to be clear, I wasn't running a team. I wasn't running it as the GM of, of any, and I was, I, the right. AI ran all 32 teams. Right. I was just forward, you know, a week or a month. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You were just chronicling the events. Yes. So I, I was really trying to be hands off after I had determined the parameters, you know, at the very inception of the league and watching it evolve. So anyway, around that time. So now we're talking, you know, I guess for early 2010s, I decided to try writing a novel based on 
that world, um, which was the the novel you mentioned. And I will always appreciate the fact that you read it. You provided a quote for the um, for the cover or for the back cover. And because by that point, we had gotten to know each other on the PIBA forums and, and in the PIBA League. But to be clear, when Ron says I, it was published, it was self-published, which, as you well know, is is a little different than just finding a a publisher who's willing to actually. That means uh, that means it's much better. <laughs> I, I suppose. Now, well, in all seriousness, uh, that's um, I want to always fight that stigma of uh, traditional published versus self-publishing because. Definitely, there is a big flavor around the idea that if you are not accepted by a publisher, uh, there's some sense that you're not, in quotes, good enough. And I can tell you without any doubt whatsoever, the push to the independent publishing has created much more good fiction than any of the traditional houses ever have. And I love traditional houses if... One of the traditional traditional houses ever comes to me and says, I want to give you $100,000 to publish one of my manuscripts. I will be happy to do that. But I know 500 writers, 300 of them are completely independently published. They are writing just as good a stuff. And in fact, even better, it's just that their stuff doesn't fit what the commercial houses want to publish, right? And to me, that actually is exciting because if you're going to want to see something avant-garde, if you're going to read something on the cutting edge, if you're going to read something you know that is maybe not commercial but just brilliant, you're probably going to find it in the independent publishing houses more than you will uh, elsewhere. So bottom line is shaking finger at you very heavily. <laughs> All right. I, yes, I know. Lord I Bart is a fantastic that. book, and yes. I don't well, care who you. published it. It is a fantastic book. Bah. Thank you. Anyway, let me turn the tables and let's actually sure. talk about Libya uh, generals and the Tripoli piranhas. Uh, you took over a team in Libya. Uh, we'll actually go into the – we'll actually talk about the BBA in the Umeva for a little bit here. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, you took Sorry. a team over and moved them immediately to Tripoli. What was your thought pattern on that? Tripoli is actually the um, capital of Libya, unless I have that wrong. I'm pretty sure oh, it is. Okay. So I, I – uh, I, I rebranded it without moving it. I don't know. I, you know, having been aware of the history of the country of Libya, particularly during like the 80s, 70s and 80s, when uh, the dictator uh, Muammar Gaddafi ran the country, um, it did not have good connotations for me. And certainly the militaristic theme of the generals and the logo, um, which was, you know, seemed to focus on that militaristic theme. Um, none of it appealed to me. In fact, when I first you know, came back uh, to uh, BBA and w- was offered the team, my first inclination was, oh, Libya? Ugh. Do I want to just tell them no? Um, so I, I took it and, and ran the team for, I guess, the second half of 44 and then devoted 30 points participation points uh, to rebranding. And I a couple of GMs actually messaged me and said, hey, do you really want to do that? Because, you know, you can save those points for when you come over to the BBA. And, you know, and I, I did not have any idea how long I'd be with this team. Um, my goal eventually is still to be in the 
the actual Brewster, but I just wanted to be uh, feel differently about the team. I wanted a different logo. I wanted a different name, and I wanted to get away from that kind of militaristic tone. Maybe it's just the the pacifist in me. So who knows? No, I like that. And you know, my answer to anyone who asks me, uh, should I spend my uh, points in the Umeba is uh, you can always make more points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I actually thought that at the time. I was like, well, you know, do I really want to? Yeah, what the hell? You know, it's it's just points. Yeah, it's it's just points. And the whole point is to have fun and to make things yeah. your own. And, and yeah. the, the Brewster universe, including the BBA and the Umeba and anything else that ever comes about, all the – farm teams and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we are only as good as we give into, into the league. And, and I'm very glad I did it. I now, every time I, you know, look at the logo and, and see, you know, on forum posts and, and everything, it just, it makes me feel better. So yeah, I will just say that I just like the word Tripoli. Yeah. It just rolls Tripoli, Tripoli. Yeah. Now I've got to ask though, there are no piranhas in Tripoli, to the best of yes. my knowledge. So why, why piranhas? <laughs> this this logo is actually one of the logos from my Dynasty League of that we were just talking about, and I just always loved the logo. I love that little ca- the cartoon piranha uh, trying to look tough, uh, but actually looking like a, a stuffy or something. Yeah, a little um, <laughs> I, I, in choosing the name, went through the logos to find one that I liked. It, it was nothing more than that. And Tripoli has beaches, a lot of really nice beaches, apparently. I've never been there. Uh, so who knows? Maybe a piranha would show up. There you go. Day, you know? It only makes sense. Yeah. But let's talk about on the field. 44, you took over partially through. Team won some games. Yeah. 45. It was yeah a disaster. I don't know what happened. Um, and so when I took over, uh, they were seven games under five hundred and in third place in the Burt division. I'm sorry, the Bancroft division. And at the end of the season, we were two games above five hundred and earned the wild card. Uh, and we lost fairly quickly in the in the playoffs to the. Uh, the true dynasty, uh, the Bucharest Impalers, and I was just glad to make the playoffs. I was thrilled. I certainly didn't expect that. So for this season, for the just completed 45 season, I fully expected to um, contend for the wild card. Not, I never thought the team was anywhere nearly good enough to win the division. Um, but the fact that we didn't contend even for the wild card, and in fact ended up 30 games under 500 was a huge surprise. I'm still not sure I understand it. I honestly have not taken the time to delve into it. I, I do know that my fielding was horrible. It's probably the worst in the league. So I'm sure that was a primary factor. And I have always struggled with trying to balance the fielding within OOTP, uh, trying to balance fielding versus offense. And I have to look closer at my team to see, you know, were there any particular outliers that kind of in terms of their fielding being just so horrendous that it, you know, resulted in 
a, a big change in the record. But I can't imagine that that alone would have accounted for being uh, 30 games under 500. Some of it was pitching. And, you know, you've spoken in the past, some of the other Omiba GMs about um, bringing up the uh, the youngsters. And, you know, for those who haven't followed it, you know, the last two drafts in Omiba were chock full of amazing young talents, many of whom had a huge potential and were very already close to, at least if you're looking at, you're looking at their ratings, close to being at their potential, um, including pitching. You know, the 44 draft that I was not part of, but that, you know, the Libya team did very well in. I mean, we got some great pitchers and I focused on pitching as well in the 45 draft. So I, like many of the GMs, faced this decision of looking at some of these guys who looked ready um, and who seemed to be doing quite well at various levels of the minors and then debating, well, you know, should I let them sit down there? Wait, you know, that whole question, there's never a good answer for that because, you know, from a, <laughs> no, there's you know, not. yeah, there's, there's not. And so I made the decision to still be all in on the 45 season. And this was at a time when we weren't 30 games under, we were maybe like 15 games under. And I thought, bringing some of these youngsters up could turn things around. I had signed two pitchers as free agents who were in their 30s. They did not do well. One, I ended up moving entirely to the to the bullpen, um, and the other stayed in my rotation just because I needed somebody. So I And then I promoted three young, young starters who at the time were not yet 20. So I had teenagers and literally not a single – starter who was in their 20s um and then one of the youngsters turned 20 so that that changed that and you know i still feel guilty i'm still not sure if i made the right decision by moving these guys up but but when you look back and i have uh i have the game open in front of me the um the the youngsters uh did far better i had a pitch count uh, throughout the season on all of them mm-hmm. at about 80 to 90 pitches. Uh, I didn't let any of them get get near 100 because I just wanted to limit their innings. Right. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying I think it was partly fielding, it was partly uh, pitching, and I also think it was increased competition. Both Athens and Mumbai, which are the other two teams in the division, were pretty strong and, and improved from 44, and they ended up battling it out for the wild card. It totally sucks when your division gets better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, um, but that's a testament to the quality of the GMs in in this feed, what is a feeder league. So I give credit to them, you know, obviously, you know, show that winning a wild card, uh, you know, gets you in that postseason and gets you a shot at the championship, which which he won. So uh, kudos to him. Uh, yeah, definitely. The uh, Yellow Springs lesson of uh, dominance in the regular season not being a guarantee of uh, – championship um, <laughs> but we don't we don't have to go there we will stick to the to the umeba script right and avoid the yellow Springs script right. uh looking at the piranhas it seems to me like offensively you're built completely around michael best and takichi aida is that how you pronounce 
E-I-D-A. Uh, I don't I, know. <laughs> I am not sure how to pronounce him. We can do a, a poll on that. But yes, he is the uh, he he is our future uh, present and future budding star at uh, second base. Gotten numerous trade offers for him. Um, the uh, once other GM saw that I was in the cellar, they, like vultures, they started moving in to see what they could pick from the carcass of my team. But um He's not going anywhere. He's probably, along with Michael Best, untouchable. And then uh, Kevin McKeith, he's at a, still at league minimum, still 29. He's he's a pretty solid guy. He's probably uh, part of the core of the offense. And we have a lot of holes. We have a lot of holes in the offense, um, center field, shortstop, uh, and catcher. Which I think is interesting because Triple E's offense – relative to the league was still pretty good. So yes. you're you're kind of as Ted would call it, stars and scrubs kind of uh approach seemed to pay off pretty well. So if you do end up it feels to me like in the Umeba, Umeba, U M E B A blah um it feels like your ability to take a team and turn it on its tail pretty quickly is possible. Yeah right? and you know, I, I know you probably want my thoughts on, on the coming season and um, just, you know, I'm still hoping we can contend for the wild card. Um, the Impalers are a juggernaut. I don't harbor any thoughts of being competitive enough to uh, win the division, but um, I'm hoping that 45 was an anomaly and that we we can improve and compete for the wild card. Um, so to that end, I I'm not thinking of rebuild at all. I'm not thinking, oh, you know, let's let's spend a couple of seasons and trade away, um, you know, the older guys. But that may change. I'll let I'll let you know um, by the time <laughs> we get cl- closer to the All Star game. Um, but I, I, I did lock up Michael Best in a, an extension, even though he was still arbitration eligible. I just, from a fictional standpoint, enjoyed the idea of rewarding our best player with with an extension uh, and, in fact, paying some slightly more than I would have had to under arbitration. And I did that also for um, Virgil Schaefer. One of our outfielders, um, who's also part, you know, I think part of the core, a little injury prone, even though OOTP doesn't show that. But he uh, is actually, you know, when he's not hurt is is extremely productive. Uh, I gave him a two year extension. So those are the the core we have going forward. And would I be selling these folks uh, if we're back in the cellar 30 games out? Possibly. But for now, I want to I want to keep these guys. No, I would tend to generally agree with your assessment that 45 is probably a bit of an outlier. I really like the young pitchers that you brought through. I would suspect, I mean, my general rule of thumb is when you have a young team, they get better through the year, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you have a better team at the end of the year than you did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Even if their, their rating bars don't show it, they've probably grown within the rating bars. Right. And, and I, I will also note that my AAA team won the championship of that league, if if that's worth anything. I don't know what that's <laughs> worth, but because I have a, a bunch of guys on there who are, you know, like uh, quadruple A folks uh, who contributed. Um, but I think that um, I will I will interpret that as hope for the future. 
<laughs> well, I think just, yeah, as a general rule, you should regress back to mean, even if you do nothing, if yes. you can fill a couple of slots. And um, I like the uh, extension to best, even though he is still in arbitration years. Um, as a GM, just financially, it's nice to have the certainty mm -hmm. of what somebody is going to make rather than, you know, there's nothing any more frustrating than to have a great master plan that you think you've got worked out, and then all of a sudden this guy in arbitration gets $6 million more than you thought they were. Yeah, and, and, and it's I, like, ah! I, and I went on the Slack. I, I don't know if it was before I offered the extension or, or after, because even though I've done out of the park for you know so long, I still don't consider myself really a strong GM. And so when I do things like that, I second guess myself. So it was nice to be able to go on the slack and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. You know, is this crazy? You know, and folks jumped in and said, no, it's not crazy. We've done it. And um, here are the advantages to doing it. I mean, and the primary advantage being what you just said, which is that that certainty. Yeah, I know. Also, to some degree, it either makes them more attractive or, depending on the GM, less attractive in trade. You know, there's lots of right. nuances. The other fun thing to me about a when you're in a long-running league is that valuations change over time. You know, the things that are valuable 20 years ago, 20 seasons ago, are slightly different because the ratings pool changes and the players available change and and the you know, the GM's aesthetics change. You, know, you get a bunch of guys in who love pitching and defense, and suddenly you're, it's really hard to find pitching and defense. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of fun overall. All righty, well, let me, um, let me go ahead and throw you into that chair-squirming, sweat-inducing lightning round and hit you with a couple of... Uh, Couple yeah. of hard hitting questions. This is, this is the and, having listened to the other uh, pot GM podcasts. I, this is the part I'm dreading, but go ahead. I'm ready. <laughs> well, and for good reasons, yeah. but, you know, because these are such hard, um, hardball questions that, um, yes. you know, your reputation and is completely at stake. Okay. So, um, what is your favorite team news of all time that you have either read or written? Hmm. Well, some of them, you know, I'm, God, that's a good one for both Umi, uh, BBA and uh, Peebo. Some of them I've done poetry slash songs, um, and I really enjoy them. There in Peebo, I had a, a minor leaguer um, whose last name was Tamburino, and I did a, a version of Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man uh, to this. And um I just I don't know why I always remember that because he was one of those guys that had great ratings and his production never matched his uh, his output never matched what his potential was. He just and and he looked like he was going to be the big five tool guy and he never became that. And I and so I ended up writing a song set to the music of Mr. Tambourine Man about the um, the sadness of that, of the the unmet potential. And, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, think about how many highly touted prospects there are in not just real life baseball, but, but in many sports and then, and they don't pan out. Yeah. And they have been for their whole lives as, you know, for 22 years been told you're good. You're not just a great athlete. You're going to be a star. 
And then it doesn't happen. And, and you know, if you, it's, that's kind of poignant. I mean, I look, in the, there's a lot of sadness in this world, and that's certainly not yeah. uh, a terrible thing. But um, I'm sure for yeah. some folks, they struggle with that. Um, you know, and riffing off of that a little bit, um, the story that comes to mind, I think it was Harmon Killebrew, but maybe it's because I was talking with, um, oh, who was it that uh, – had a team with Harmon Killebrew in it, um, who uh, watched Momberg, the, John Momberg. Uh, yeah, probably Momberg. Yeah, but Harmon Killebrew had watched the uh, movie Bull Durham, <laughs> right, and was asked, you know, what did you think? And he says, it's a horror story. And somebody says, what do you mean it's a horror story? He says, you know, I know hundreds of Crash Davids, Davises who are fantastic players and they just never – for whatever reason, never got their shot or, you know, everyone thought they were going to be great and they petered out is just a horror story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, so, yeah, that, very that, poignant in that sense. And that's what I love about, you know, these leagues that focus on fiction writing because you have the opportunity to kind of delve into things like that that are more universal than just the league you're in. But and just quickly, another favorite post also from Omiba, uh, from Peebo, was when the Nihamashi ghosts went from like last place in one season, they moved up to 500. And I did a post where fans took to the streets cheering, we don't suck. Uh, I remember that post. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and, and I did a photo. I remember I the a, little a, graphic that you put in. Yes, I did a Photoshop of some, uh, you know, a, an actual photograph of a march through a Japanese city, and I photoshopped in this big banner, "We don't suck." And and I always love that because the idea of fans being so passionate about the team that just when they get to uh, 500, um, they are thrilled, you know. And and when you think of all the fans of teams that went for real life teams that for years um, never made the playoffs or went you know decades without a World Series championship, and yet the fans are just as passionate as ever. And that that also strikes me, um, particularly as a Phillies fan, because <laughs> most of most of that team's history has not been uh, successful. Give me something you wish OOTP did better that would make the game more fun for you. Well, I think one of the other GMs did comment about the um, sometimes odd scouting, and I know we don't have scouting in, in the Brewster, but that's always an issue. Like sometimes – when a player decides to cut off negotiations and I, I feel like left in the lurch, um, it, it, you know, it seems too abrupt. It's little things like that. But honestly, the, the biggest thing, and, and for me, this is not even within the game, is I've never liked their business model of doing a new version every year. Um, I feel like I understand the financial reasons why Marcus and uh, Andreas – um, needed to in order to keep the company going. And I was very supportive of that. I mean, I bought the new version every single year uh, to support them. But yet it also, I felt like the value year to year wasn't there. Like the, there were incremental improvements that for other games would amount to, you know, a patch or an expansion, um, not a full new purchase. Right. So I, you know, I'm not the first person to complain about that. Um, <laughs> and now they have new ownership and, and I'm worried about that. I don't know if that business model will change. I'm glad they were able to quote cash in. 
Um, and I hope they stay, you know, Marcus and Andreas stay with the company. But I don't know if you have any insight into what is to come. Uh, I do not. So I'm going to move on to what is your favorite <laughs> okay. baseball movie? Ooh, uh, that's a good one. I would say um, I am blanking on the name about the Black Sox. The, the actual oh, um, the Chicago Black Sox film. Uh, Eight Men Out. Eight Men Out. That's a wonderful film. I read the book. The book is wonderful. Um, I did not expect the movie to be as good, and I thought they they kind of nailed it. They nailed it without trying to be like perfectly historical. Uh, they, in other words, it's a good movie on its own, um, but it also is kind of true to what happened. And the fact that the Brewster has a team called the Black Sox, um, I'm love. I mean, it's just so it's so beautiful. I, I don't. We we may not stop often to think about that, and I know Vic uh, has done a great job with with that team, my former team, uh, for a brief time. Um, but it eight men out was a wonder. And if if any of the GMs listening have not seen that, you should track it down. Favorite movie outside of baseball. Well, that would have to be 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I saw in 1969 as a 10-year-old uh, <laughs> when it first premiered as a then budding science fiction lover. Um, and my it was a big family event. My It was in Cinerama. We, I grew up in the suburbs of Philly, and my f- parents bought tickets for – I had two siblings for the five of us to go – into town, which was a big event, into downtown Philly and see this film. And when I assume everyone listening has seen it, but it's a perplexing film. Um, and <laughs> that's to say the least. Yes. Um, and I always remember walking out like no one knew, no one in my family knew what to say. Um, <laughs> and I went on to read the novelization, which Arthur C. Clarke did um, after the film. Because it started, as you know, I'm sure, as a short story called yeah, The Sentinel. Sentinel. Um, and so I read that. I read about the making of the film. I became a Stanley Kubrick fan. And so that that will always read. And if you go and watch that now, the special effects are not that bad. Um, I think it was so simplistic in a way and that it did not um, it did not become dated like other science fiction films that tried harder. Um and the my greatest bit, my favorite bit of trivia about 2001 of Space Odyssey is that the planet of the, the first Planet of the Apes film with Charlton Heston came out the same year. And for the Oscars the next year, Planet of the Apes won for best costumes, even though their apes did not look as realistic as the apes <laughs> in 2001. And that was because voters, Academy voters, thought it they – Stanley Kubrick had used real apes, and he didn't. There you go. So that's two. That's my 2001 <laughs> trivia. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Best out of the park moment ever. Hmm. I'm not sure I have a single moment. Um, you know, it, as as you know, I I did win the I did when I first joined the Brewster. I took over the Black Sox midway through um, and ran. And won the Landis with the 95 Black Sox. And then the next season, I won it a second time. And that that is the only time – those two uh, championships are the only times 
in my entire history of OODP that I've ever won the championship. But the 96 season, I was particularly pleased with, not just because I ran the team the entire season, um, but because I came into that year with tremendous financial uh, cap issues to the point where I needed to unload folks in order to get under the cap. And at that time, you could trade draft picks, um, and I believe you can't now. Correct. I had one guy who was a pitcher making some ridiculous amount, and he was – unloading him was the key for me, uh, one of the keys, but the biggest key to being competitive in 96. So I posted – I remember I posted on the forum, hey, uh, if if you'll take this guy, I'll give you my first. Um <laughs> And I had uh, I had a taker within a few minutes. Somebody with, <laughs> with cap room. When you make a guy an offer, they can't refuse. Yeah. By God, they um, don't refuse them. <laughs> and you know, it, look, I I suppose that the ensuing Black Sox owners were not happy with that. But um, but it, I won the championship in '96. I won the Landis then, and I was very proud of that. And I still am proud of that um, sure. because should be. uh, it was my team. You should be, you yes. jerk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you could relive one day of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. You haven't thrown that at any other GMs, I don't think. Uh, I have not. Uh, I try to come up with at least one or two new things. Hmm. Goodness. I thought it was an interesting question because when I asked it of myself, I didn't know how to answer. So, yeah, go for yeah. it. Well, certainly, um, you know, my wife and I had two kids. We uh, the, the Their births are tremendous events, as anyone who knows who's had a child. And um, so reliving those days as, as well as our wedding. I mean, we're about to hit our 25th anniversary, so I'm very fortunate that we've had a fairly long and uh, successful marriage. Um, so I guess reliving those events because they're, you can't top that. Well, there you go. Favorite real life baseball player. So that would have to be, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two answers and they're both Philly shortstops, Larry Boa and Jimmy Rollins. Um, both scrappy, pugnacious, um, Boa never really had any power. Um, Jimmy did. And and both were the hearts of championship teams for the Phillies. And Boa, I've always especially loved because I grew up. Uh, I mean, that, you know, when, when that crop of Phillies were good is when I was in high school and uh, and college. And um, he, if I remember correctly, was cut by his high school team. And, you know, that that's the kind of story I love because, you know, it's a cliche to say don't let what how uh, don't let other people's judgments affect your own perception. And but it's hard to do that. And I yeah. I am sure 99 percent of people who have been of of would be athletes who have been cut by your high school team take that as a pretty good assessment that you're not that good. But he didn't. And he went on not only to play in the majors, but to play a very long time and and make his whole life in the majors. And that's a great story. Yeah, without a doubt. The the, the names are always fun to listen to, which is one of the reasons why I like to ask the question. Yeah. yeah. Everyone comes up with names. I had, 
I would not have come up with Larry Bullock, yeah. but as soon as you said the name, these images come flowing into my brain. So yeah. I'm, I get yeah. it completely. And he, uh, you know, he was in, in that group with bigger names like Mike Schmidt, mm-hmm. but, but he was, he was definitely part of that. Uh, last question is the question that I always ask everyone. Um, greatest personal story around a sport that you have either participated in or at least been at the place while it was happening? Hmm. Well, I hope, I mean, I have one. I hope it's not too too long a story. But when I was in high school, I, I, I wrestled, you know, amateur wrestling. I was not big enough to really compete in other sports, including baseball, um, even though I love them. And I was never very good as a wrestler. I didn't start wrestling till my sophomore year of high school. And in Pennsylvania, it's very much a wrestling hotbed and including our high school and a very strong team. Um, I was able to make varsity in my junior year and my senior year only because they didn't have anybody else in my weight class who uh, could put a uniform on. So five, five <laughs> to five. And I, w- I was small. I was 98 pounds. I wrestled 98 pounds in my junior year and 105 in my so in my senior year, I wish I could see those weights again, believe me. Um, so anyway, I was not very good. I probably only won a few matches. And then I went on to college and went to University of Maryland. And for some reason, and Maryland at the collegiate level had a very strong wrestling program, I decided to walk on to that team. I attended practices. And when I think back, I was like, what was I thinking? I mean, these were really strong wrestlers. And I just decided, hey, I'm here. Um, Anyway, so after after a few weeks, the coach pulled me off to the side and he said, you know, it's great you're trying, but um, we need the space. So he he cut me from from the uh, the team. But this is a long-winded way of getting to uh, University of Maryland would stage uh, rest and in intramural wrestling tournament for any any student could sign up for this wrestling tournament and what would happen is hundreds of guys like me who had wrestled in high school but weren't good enough to wrestle in college would just you know take out their uniform try again so i went to signed up and proceeded in the first round to pin my opponent in 28 seconds (laughs) which surprised even me like and the odd thing that happened was, <laughs> I mean, I was not a good wrestler, but yet when other wrestlers, when word got around, and now they didn't know me from beans. They didn't know my high school career. Word got around, oh, this, this done guy. He, you know, look out. And in fact, warming up later for the next round, uh, uh, another one, another guy says to me, what's your name? I said, Mike Dunn. He goes, oh, I was like, what? <laughs> anyway, so and I won the second round and I made it to the finals. I lost in the finals against a guy who was who was pretty good. But I think I actually could have won that uh, had I been in better shape. I was just like just did not have the, the stamina. Um, but my point is to realize that your self-perception as an athlete and, and in any other endeavor, and this probably gets to writing as well, um, can be formed by – Who's around you? So I never thought of myself as a good wrestler because I happened to be in a high school, in a program and growing up in a region where wrestling was very strong. And the equivalent of at the high school level made the major leagues. So when you go into an intramural college tournament, it's the equivalent maybe of single A. Um, 
And my point, I guess, is that and I think this gets back to a point we were making earlier, that you can be a tremendous athlete at the high school level and not succeed going forward. But that doesn't mean you're not a great athlete. Yeah. I'm probably not articulating it well at all, but I, I guess it has something to do with the your self-perception being formed by the strength of the competition around you. And yet it should still be at least somewhat based on your true value. So I came out of that tournament thinking, you know what? I really wasn't that bad a wrestler. I just happened to wrestle in high school where the competition was really tough. So it, it, yeah. it kind of changed my perception. And if you think about bench warmers at the major league level, the guys who struggle to hit 200, who maybe are in the majors for a couple of seasons, whether it's real life or in the Brewster, they're still tremendous athletes. Yeah, you think of them as bums, but they're they're great athletes. <laughs> yeah, you, without a doubt, and I think you can apply that to all sorts of things about life. That's one of the reasons why I like um, one of the reasons I like sports just in general. Baseball is sometimes the most easy to analyze in that way, but uh, this whole idea of you know, a, a, a professional athlete's life is compressed down into the time that they're physically able to do certain things, right? But when I like when I would be working when I was working in corporate America and talking about developing employees and developing skill sets and things like that, the the beauty of real life is is you're never over until you're just really you know until the sun sets on your life. <laughs> um, when it comes right down to it, right. and as you start digging into it, you know. Children in school who fail the third grade, did they really fail the third grade? No, we just gave up on them. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> right? they, that's they just true. they need an extra year or two to get that learning in. Right. Uh, to get it right. Yes. Right. And then they can go on. And if it takes them 25 years to gain as much knowledge as another person gained in 18, they still haven't failed. It just they they went a different path. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's unfortunate when self-esteem um, becomes affected by evaluations like that, that yes. um, really yes. kind of fail to, t you know, put put things in their proper context. Yeah. And I've enjoyed this conversation because that has resonated through several different aspects. Of yes. What we've talked about. So you, have it, so. you have a thing. Alrighty, so you have successfully managed to navigate the okay. in, intensely painful lightning round. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. I, I, you can edit out the long gaps where I was thinking. But. Well, and the other gaps where you were crying and screaming yes. and complaining the, and yes, throwing chairs. You know, we'll we'll do that. We'll we'll get rid of the time periods where I was making it really hot for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Should I uh, should I, should I throw anything at you? Sure. Do you have anything you'd like me to talk about? Yeah. Well, I think that no one would argue by any means that you're, you're a great asset to the Brewster. But I, I sit there and wonder how, how you find the time to be as productive and contribute so much uh, to the league. You know, I, I, and I know you you moved away from corporate job, you know, several years ago. You're pretty much a full time writer. I'm sure that that keeps you incredibly busy. So how do you find the time for the Brewster? Um, my life has contracted quite a bit in the past couple of years. Um, yes, I write full time. And a advantage of that is 
I can set my own deadlines in, a, in advantage of being independently published, doing it myself for most, for all of my longer works, right? The, my short works, I still go through traditional routes. And in fact, knock on wood, I'll have something out in an analog magazine in another month or so. You know, I mean, creativity runs in spurts and production runs, takes time to do, takes is more mindless, but it takes time to do. I spend a lot of time on the production side, just hanging out in front of my TV doing it because, you know, it's not rocket science right. in most cases. Uh, I will fully admit that in the past year with COVID and with dealing with both my mom's passing and my dad, my output on the creative side has gone down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still writing, I'm still creating things, but it's much harder for me mentally right this minute to get into the frame of mind that I need to be in to do deep, high quality mm -hmm. um, professional writing, right? Uh, so I have the pleasure of not needing to have massive cash inflow right now. And so I can kind of let it go fallow. Mm -hmm. Now I'm being overly dramatic by saying go fallow. I, again, I am writing stuff. It's just not nearly the productive schedule that I've been on. Right. Um, quite honestly, I am using the Brewster as a piece of solace mm -hmm. against a lot of the crap going on in the world, which if I let myself dwell on that, I will become mentally unhealthy and never be able to write. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I have allowed myself in this past, especially last six months to agree to not touch it sometimes because my dad is taking a lot of my time. He is older and is now dealing with living on his own and the loneliness that it comes with losing a spouse. And he's also, he's capable of managing himself. He's, mentally there, but he's losing some of his capabilities. So I'm constantly, my latest adventures have been getting him appointments to a vaccine for the COVID thing, right? So really that's a, my turn at a long-winded answer of ultimately what's happening is my writing output has gone down a bit, uh, but that is probably healthy for my, for the quality of my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was really beating myself over the head about six months ago is when I finally came to the conclusion of I just need to let things come the way they come. Because if I force myself to sit down and write when I hate what I'm writing, it's just no fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, no, and that's hard. And 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 making sure you don't feel guilty about that decision is hard. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's helpful to me that the Brewster is the environment that it is. It is. This is a fantastic group of people to spend time in and, and with, and um, it uh, definitely helps my emotional state. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> so I have told, I, as I have said to Matt a few different times, or said about Matt a few different times, what he what he has accomplished here and what the Brewster has accomplished has enhanced my life in so many ways mm -hmm. that. Um, I don't know that I can actually repay it totally. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it, so. it's a tremendous accomplishment and and uh, an accomplishment for him to uh, it, uh, he uh, really has impressed me um, with kind of the very low key way he runs things and and deals with issues. And um, it's it's the mark of a good leader. There you go. Yeah. Well, what else you got? What would you like to see out of OTP, and are you concerned about the company's sale? I'm not really concerned about the company's sale. Okay. 
no more concerned about it than I would be with anything else. I mean, certainly the company sale could end up changing the flavor of the game, could make it run more toward a PT kind of thing or more toward a subscription service, which I wouldn't, you know, you talked about the versions every year. Um, that's probably a valuable thing for Marcus in the sense that it gives him a, him and his team a um, consistent cash flow. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't begrudge him that. I would agree that I guess in my frame of reference, I would actually more like him to have a subscription model that he was just constantly updating every month. Right. Right. Just make the game better every month and uh, and communicate that better as to what is coming. One of the things yeah. that bothers me the most, one of my pet peeves is not necessarily the annual cycle, but it's like we're sitting here right now as we speak. It is February 6th. One would naturally assume that the new version of the game is going to be coming out within two months, give or take a little, mm-hmm. right? Why don't we have a feature list? Why don't we have a list of these are the things that are coming? I just want to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's a that's another thing. The thing that I would most like to have happen within Out of the Park is for it to um, uh, revamp its pitching model and um, in a ideal world actually go back and recode the game engine to actually be pitch by pitch. You know, right now it's by at bat by at bat, and it right. does some wonky things to make things feel right, and it does a pretty good job. You know, if you really get down, dig down into it, you can find things that don't actually make quite make sense, right. and those get annoying. But you know, I give him a total pass on that. I think what Marcus has done in this game with this game is miraculous for the structure. I mean, it's built off of baseball the way he understood it as a German kid in the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. For it to advance to where it is is a is a miracle. But I think it would be fantastic if he could go back and rewrite the game engine to be actually a pitch by pitch thing incorporating a vast amount of the uh knowledge that we have gained that baseball has gained over the past 25 years. I think that would be would be brilliant. But Yeah. So that's my wish list. Okay. All right. Well, we'll make it so. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think that that we should do a GM's corner about Ron Collins, and I'd be happy to 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 be the questioner to give to give the full Ron Collins story. Um, I know that you've you've talked in uh, some of the other podcasts about uh, your your background, your history, and uh, but it's all in bits and pieces, so we need it all in, in one place. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's a dangerous a dangerous idea, Mike. Well, That's I'm, a very dangerous idea. I, I think that there would be a, a clamor for that if I put that out there on Slack, so we'll see. <laughs> well, I have to edit that one out. That's all there okay. is to it. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time here today and uh, you taking a break from your very important chipping and shoveling. Yes, and, I have um, to get back to that, but uh, sorry to be so long-winded. Um, I hope you're editing Editing knife is uh, is sharp enough to uh, to cut this down. Well, we'll we'll figure something out, and and you know, an hour and twenty minutes or whatever it's been, uh, Mike <laughs> Dunn is probably an hour and twenty minutes not enough. Thank you, and thank you, uh, thank you for all your contributions to the Brewster. It really uh, is uh, crucial, I think, to uh, uh, and the whole governing board uh, of what makes the league so great. I appreciate that, and I will accept that appreciation on their um, behalf. Again, thanks for your time, Mike, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to chatting again. You bet. Take care. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. 
You have been listening to the GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points. Thank you.